Welcome to Resolution, an initiative of Josh McDowell Ministry. Here we equip you to help youth overcome hurts and struggles and start thriving in life with Christ and others. I'm your host, Ben Bennett. Welcome to Season 1. Hey, welcome back to the Resolution Podcast. Today, Josh McDowell and I are continuing the conversation about overcoming shame and how to see yourself the way God does. So let's jump back in and continue the conversation. Every one of us, God creates unique, a unique creation. No other likeness or kind is how you would define uniqueness. In all the world, there's no one else like me. Wow. And God loves me the way I am. Yeah. I am unique. And, and the thing is, so many people go through life wanting to be like someone else. There's not one person I've ever met I'd rather be like. Mm. Not gifts, talents, abilities, looks, anything. I am totally engulfed in the way God made me. God designed you to be you, Ben, and me to be me. Mm. And if you are not you and I'm not me, who will be us? Mm. Now think of that. I believe yeah. every one of us is a gift to the world. They'll say, oh, that's so obnoxious at Christians. Well, I do. <laughs> I believe you are. I believe I am. I believe every person watching this is a gift to the world. Mm. And as we go through life, I believe it's God unwrapping a gift. As we grow, we mature, Amen. we learn how to love everything. God mm. is unwrapping a special gift um, to the world. And then we know that it says that God is all-knowing omniscient he knows when we lie down knows when we walk up wake up he knows us from afar and you know what i concluded about that he who loves me most knows me best hmm. or he who loves me best knows me more wow god knows me and he still loves me then why can't i accept my own blemishes and love mm -hmm. myself Mm -hmm. um, and so very, very unique. Uh, and I learned God's love for me is sacrificial. For God so loved the world, he gave his only gave, begotten yeah. son. And in Corinthians, it says about the price that God paid was Jesus. Hmm. And then God's love took the initiative. He didn't wait around for me to love him. This in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son. And in his love is extensive. <laughs> John says, as much as a father loves me, I love you. Whoa. Yes. Incredible claim. Jesus yeah. saying, as much as God the Father loves me, God the Son, I love you. Mm. And later it says, as much as Jesus loves the Father, he loves me. Wow. That's why you can sing the song, No Greater Love. And then mm. God's love is knowledgeable. He knows me and he loves me. He who knows me best loves me most. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that. And then I realized he died to forgive me. Mm. He died to forgive me. What helped me grasp that was when Jesus said, I'll put your sins as far away as the East is from the West. For years, I don't think most Christians really understand that. And I'll never forget when I came to understand that. I thank God he didn't say, 
I'll put your sins as far away as the north is from the south. Why? You can measure north to south. There's a north pole and there's a south pole. Mm. You only go north so long and then you're going south. You only go south so long then you go north. But there's no east and west pole. Do you forget that? You go east, you go east your whole life. You never stop. It's eternity. <laughs> you go west, you can't measure east to west. There's no west pole and east pole. And God didn't say, I'm going to put your sins as far away as the north is in the south, which you can measure it. He said, I'm going to put your sin far away as the east is from the west mm. for eternity. Unlimited. Whoa. Wow. Uh, so that's good. what he did. And then a story that really affected me. I was reading this story about this young boy made his own sailboat, a little toy sailboat. His father took him down to the Mississippi River to sail it. And he put it in the water and it floated everything, but it got caught up in the current and was carried downstream and was carried further out. And the little boy started running along the bank, uh, yelling for his boat. And finally it disappeared and the kid was crushed. Several weeks later, they were in a town further down the river and he was with his father and they walked by a pawn shop. And in the window of the pawn shop was his boat. He got so excited, he ran into the store, ran up, and took the boat from the window. And the owner said, you can't do that. That's my boat. He said, no, I made it. He said, then you're going to have to buy it. When he left the store, his father heard him say, I made you once, and I bought you once. Whoa. Wow. Jesus made us once. He created us. And he bought us once with his death on the cross. Mm. Wow. I wish I, that little boy now is probably grown up into 30, 35 years old. Um, but I wish to God I could meet that kid now. As he walked out, he said to his boat, I made you once and I bought you once. And Jesus says to me, Josh, you're special. I made you once and I bought you once. Woo. Amazing. That's something yeah, that, to get excited about. Yeah. And, and especially in our day where a lot of people um, will say things like know your worth, know your value, or, you know, believe in yourself, you know, this kind of mentality of, of, you're, you're loved, you're worthy, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and believe it. Um, but I think that falls short of um, our actual worth. Cause like, who's defining it? Am I defining my worth Here's and saying thing. I'm valuable is culture. It starts with the scriptures. Hmm. The truest thing about you is what God says about you, but where God intended then one's parents to reinforce that. Mm -hmm. With my children, I was to reinforce their value, their worth, their gifts, their talents, everything in their lives. And that's the way God intended for us to go from here in the mind and the word of God 
down to our life and our experience is through our parents reinforcing what God says is true about their child. Right. And it hurts me when I know so many children, what, 62% is it? Grew up in a fatherless home, or maybe it's mm. not quite that high. But half those that grow up in a father home, the father doesn't reinforce these things. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And in that, what you're saying, that, that value, that worth is derived, is derived from who God says we are, being made in his image. Not what friends say, not what culture says, but they have the opportunity to back that up. You see, this is, this is where when I speak on self-image, and I'm doing it in a week mm. at a family camp, I really emphasize what you just said, that my value is not a created value. I didn't create this value in my life. It's a derived value. It's derived from my creator. And that keeps you humble. And it keeps you from leading to pride. Where people think, well, I've created all this worth and value. No. For who you are as a person, God created that and embedded you with that value. It's a, like you said, Ben, it's a derived value. Mm. Which is so powerful because it's objective. It's an objective truth that regardless of what you say, what people say, the person who hurt me, what they said, God says this about me and that can't be taken away. Um, love I it. caught so you off guard, didn't I? I didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, normally you always have something thinking, to say. I was no. so thinking about it. I was so thinking about it. Mm. But that's, that's been a big thing that, that I've had to learn in my life. Um, and as you shared those things, I continue to think about, there's just a difference between, and kind of, okay, how do I say this? There's a difference between our identity in Christ and our identity as people made in the image of God. Um, so often, I think what we hear is, your identity is in Christ. He loves you because of, of the cross, all of this. But we forget that in Genesis 1 and 2, people, humans, were made in God's image. And John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Um, elsewhere, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed his love to us before accepting us through the cross. And of course, how awesome it is when we're forgiven and saved and adopted into God's family and our identity becomes in Christ. But, you know, I probably in my life, I don't make that dichotomy. Hmm. When I say my identity is in Christ, that goes into who he created me to be everything. Mm -hmm. I don't say, well, this comes from this, this kind ultimately it all comes from Christ. Right. And so I don't draw that big of a dichotomy, dichotomy uh, okay. in my life, Ben. Yeah. I look at my identity is in Christ. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think I know who I am, why I'm here, and where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Boy, when you can answer those three questions, you're on your road to happiness. Yeah, so good. I, I think the reason why I've started to make that distinction is um, because 
if somebody's not a Christian, they're still made in the image of God. Um, they still have inherent worth and value and God loves them. And he wants a relationship with them. You know, he doesn't. Yeah, they just don't know it. It's right. the same identity, but they don't know it. Yeah. Right. So we can and help this them This is why know. when you become a Christian, part of discipleship needs to be confirming your identity in Christ. Mm. Is part of yeah. discipleship, I think. Yeah. What's your next so question? Um, yeah, next question. What are some practical ways uh, you would encourage parents, youth leaders, pastors to help young people see themselves as God sees them and really believe it at a, at a core level? Well, first, you need to model in your own life. You need to model. They need to be able to see the identity of Christ in your life. Second, in your marriage with a mom and dad together. If they don't see that, they're not going to listen to you. Here's something I thought of. Um, if they don't see it in your life, but you preach it to your kids and teach it, then why should a kid do what you say when they don't like who you are? Mm. Because if I do what you say, I'll become who you are, and I don't like who you are. So I'm going to reject what you say. You said it was Jesus. Well, I don't like the way you fight everything else, the way you treat each other, the way you treat me. And you say you came to Christ, then I don't want to come to Christ, because if I come to Christ, same thing's going to happen to me. Mm. That's why one of the biggest barriers to someone coming to Christ is the image of their parents, especially their father. Wow. Especially their father. People used to say to me in Battle Creek, Michigan, Union City, where I was born in Union City, and they knew my home life and all and my struggles, much of it. And they would say, Christians meaningfully would say, you know, there's a father in heaven who loves you. That didn't bring me joy. That brought me fear and sadness no. because I grew up believing fathers hurt. My father hurt me. And I could not discern the difference between a heavenly father and an earthly father. I simply grew up fathers hurt. And I would say one of my biggest barriers to coming to Christ was not intellectual like most people think and what my books write. It was my image of my earthly father I believe was the greatest barrier to me coming to Christ mm. because I could not trust a father. Mm. Yeah. And so modeling it next, we need to teach our children the scriptures uh, and not in a preachy way. We hardly ever had what people refer to as family devotions, sitting around the table, reading God's word and then praying hardly ever. We sat around the table and discussed the day. And Christ always came up. What happened today? What did we learn today? My devotion with my kids was on the way to a ball game, taking them to school, going for a walk with them, going to a movie. Why? Mm. In the car, I always had planned one thing I wanted to teach my child from the time I left home and we arrived at their school. I had it all planned out. 
Yeah. And so I would ask some questions. They didn't realize we were having family devotions. Mm, mm. And I was t in a very normal, go about life way, I taught my children the scriptures. And I don't even think they realized that's what I was doing, but it, but it came part of their lives. Mm. Uh, and so we need to teach it. And then we need to let our kids experience things. One of my greatest struggles as a father, how far do I let my children go to where they might hurt themselves? Mm. But they've got to have experience. But I don't want them to hurt themselves that for years it'll pay off in their life. Right. And for me, it was a struggle. How far do I let Katie, Kelly, Heather, Sean go that they won't hurt themselves, but they'll learn a personal lesson. And I needed to allow my children to fail, to not step in and rescue them. They need, because life is full of failures. And if you don't learn as a child to handle failures, you're going to be a disaster as an adult. Hmm. Then we need... I think the worst phrase is your child wants to do some gymnastics or something. And then after a couple months, they don't want to do it. And the parent says, well, look, you need to finish it. You started it. You finished. I never said that to my children. Huh. To me, I needed to let my children try everything they wanted to. So they could see what they like, what they don't like, what was meaningful to them, what was not. And so, uh, my one daughter got into horseback riding and Renaissance fairs and then she just stopped it. And she, and I could easily said, you know, look, you started, you need to finish it. The whole training. Everything. No, she learned that she really didn't enjoy it. Mm. That's a great lesson to learn. Yeah. And then she learned, Oh, I really like this. And she finished the course. And so, I never said to my kid, well, you started it, you finish it. No, mm. let them stop. Let them go into other things, try other things. Mm. Um, and, and like my one daughter got into 4-H um, animals and she wanted to get a sheep, train the sheep and show it at the fair. So she saved up some of her money. I matched it. And we bought a little lamb. She raised it. And then she just quit spending time with it or anything. Just lost interest. And so many parents will say, look, you started this. You need to finish it. No. I said, honey, what would you learn from the lamb? We talked about it and everything. And then we sold the lamb. Mm. What was wrong with that? Right. She learned a lesson in life. I love she that. learned she didn't want to show animals at 4-H. Mm. She had other things she wanted to do with her life. And, uh, and then when your children do find something they like, find ways to do it with them. Find ways to do it with them. For example, my one daughter got into, uh, Katie, into running, long distance running. Uh, but she started out with a hundred yard dash and boy, was she fast. In fact, I think she held the record for a while in the little school. I'm not sure, but we were in Mexico on vacation and 
I said, honey, you're not doing much running. She said, well, I don't know where to. I said, hey, I'll look around. I'll find a place. So I found this dirt road. I went back. And here was like a, a gravel runway way out in the jungle. And it was right on the, on the bay. And so I said, honey, grab lunch and let's go work out. And so I took her down there. I brought my stopwatch. I, time, I didn't run with her. But I timed her everything. I bet we were there for an hour and a half to two hours. Hmm. And that helped to build her self-image, to develop a talent, a gift, to find victory, success, and all that. Uh, my son got into baseball. And he had a big game coming up and really needed some batting practice, and it started to rain. So I'll never Worst. forget, we went out to, we had two barns. One was a fairly new barn. The other was an old rickety barn. It, eventually, it literally fell down. The whole hmm. barn went down. And we stood at the end of the barn outside in the rain. And I pitched to my son for about 45 minutes to an hour. I was hmm. soaked, <laughs> but pitched. And what did that say to my son? My dad loves you. What I care about, my dad cares about. And I help him to develop one of his gifts. And he's an outstanding athlete. And I'll never forget when he came to me in baseball. Now, Sean was just about the shortest kid in his class. And he said, Dad, I'm going to pitch. Oh, my gosh. I mean, what was right? Oh, son, you're too short. I'm, I wanted to say, son, this is baseball. You should play short, stop. <laughs> I thank God I didn't say that. I said, well, son, then let's work on it. And I would catch him pitching everything else. His mother would catch him. He became an incredible pitcher. The mm. shortest kid in the team. Um, and I thank God I didn't say, oh, son, you're too short. You need to be shortstop or second base, not mm. third base, not first base, not outfield. But I didn't. And I thank God I didn't because Sean one is very gifted athletically. He was academic All-American in basketball and the shortest kid in the team. Mm. And uh, he, uh, and that was at uh, Biola university. Mm. Uh, but Allow our kids to try things and let them quit things. Uh, and so you don't criticize them when they quit. Mm. You brag about them when they continue. Mm. Anyway, that's yeah, some of the such... ways that I tried to pass some of this value, worth, ability on to my children. Yeah, such powerful examples. And I think kind of what you, what you got at was that these examples, these actions, these behaviors help um, young people believe who God actually says they are, that they matter, that their opinions matter, that they are capable, and it helps them experience and believe what is actually true of them, not just intellectually, but at a deep core level. And, and young. Uh, mm, yeah, and how healing that, that can be. Uh, even if people 
are in their teenage years or, or get older, if they've got a mentor or a youth pastor or something like that, who cares for them that way? Um, okay, one more question for you today. Uh, wh- what would you say are some practical ways that um, other people, maybe who aren't young, who aren't kids, um, maybe a little bit older, could find healing and overcome shame and develop healthy biblical self-image? I often say, don't go it alone. Mm. If, especially if you're a young lady, and if you have a really good relationship with your mom, share it with your mom. Your mom will have some wisdom to share with you. Mm. You might go to the youth pastor or the pastor of the church. Sometimes you might even go to professional counseling. I went to professional counseling. Dr. Henry Cloud. Oh, my gosh. I never knew anyone could know so much. Mm. And uh, for two years, every time I drove home from or arrived home from a speaking tour, I drove up to Newport Beach and I sat in a chair with Henry Cloud. And of course, he had this big uh, German shepherd that was always with him in his counseling. I said, Henry, I've learned more from your dog than I have you. But uh, Henry Cloud helped me so much to understand myself. Yeah. And so get counseling. Um, get my book. You can go to, I think it's probably on Amazon, or you can go to josh.org. Um, what's the name? His image, my image. His image, my image. And the updated one is see yourself as God sees you. Is that right? You know, I was just going to say, I think it was changed <laughs> to see yourself as God sees you. Incredible that book. book can really help mm. you. I don't know how many people have written me all over the world because it's in so many languages saying next to the Bible, it's the greatest book I ever read. And the reason is it met needs in their life dealing with self-image. So get the book, see yourself as God sees you. You can go to my website, josh.org or Amazon probably has it. Mm. Um, The other is do some good positive self-talk. I like to talk to myself because I'm guaranteed two things, an intelligent audience and an interesting speaker. So I talk, to, <laughs> I talk to myself all the time. And it's good to have positive conversations with yourself. Mm. And just ask yourself, am I looking at myself the way I really am? Am I looking at myself the way God sees me? Love it. Those are some things that can help. Yeah, on, on that. It helps. Get mm. help. And on the, on that last note, uh, what are we Wait, saying you know, to ourselves? Ben, ben, I keep looking at myself with these earbuds in my ear. And when I look straight out, it looks like I got earrings. Yeah, they look great on you. I just White said, earrings. Oh, boy. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, on that last note of what are we telling ourselves? Uh, one thing that has been transformational in my life is cutting the trash talking voice of shame out of my life. That's what I call it. The trash talking voice of shame, because for years growing up, I not only had people saying things like you're annoying, you're fat, go away, Ben, from my friends, from my family. And I believe those messages, messages, 
But at a certain time, Josh, I started telling them to myself. But it was about five years ago, I made a conscious decision that every time those negative thoughts come up, I'm not going to tell them to myself anymore. I'm going to remind myself of who God says that I am. And um, another thing I I realized. That's what I was just saying. Yeah, exactly. It turned negative into positive talk. Yeah. Positive conversations with yourself. And like you're saying, that changed everything in my life five years ago. And I realized that we are our own most important preachers. All day long, we have these thoughts going on. We're preaching to ourselves, but are we preaching what is actually true? Who God says that we are. And um, another thing that was so fascinating was realizing that self-rejection, these negative thoughts were a way of protecting myself. If I rejected myself first, I wouldn't fear as much other people's rejection. And that was just one more way that shame was coming out. If you don't like yourself, how can you trust somebody else and they say, I like you? Mm -hmm. If you don't love yourself, which is biblical, how can you trust someone else and it says, I love you? Mm. Most people get married. I truly believe so many, they marry a facade. They marry the front the person has put on, not who they really are deep down inside. Mm. And um, so if you don't think you're lovable, how can you trust somebody else to think you're lovable? You can't. Mm. That's where it becomes a spiral downward. I want to close with this. I was reading a thing about, um, oh, come on. The guy from Wichita, the very wealthy, wealthy, starts with a B, billionaire. He was saying that the greatest lessons he learned in life was from his father. Not his education, anything else, from his father. And he said, the greatest lesson I learned from my father is unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's probably the greatest factor in my life. I thought, wow, what a testimony for somebody who's made billion. I mean, he's a billionaire. Um, it's not Bunker Hunt. Um, and he attributed it to his father. Mm-hmm. Because he said, my father truly loved me unconditionally. He said, I always knew it didn't matter what I did. My father would still love me. Might not, might not like what I did, but he would still love me. Josh, we appreciate you. Join us on the podcast discussing this, this topic with us today. And um, for those tuning in, listening, watching, uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear how God has used this podcast in your life or those you minister to. You can message us on Instagram, on Facebook, at Resolution Movement, or head over to resolutionmovement.org and check out some of the articles we have on shame and um, self, self-image. And uh, we want to encourage you and the young people in your life to think about what we shared on this episode, on the last episode, And like we talked about, to begin taking inventory of the thoughts going on in your mind. Are are they from God? Are they true? Are they who God says you are? And then to begin renewing your mind, 
meditating on and experiencing what is true. And as we've talked about, the more and more we make the same decisions, think the same thoughts, the neurons that fire together in our brains wire together, making it easier and easier to believe what is true and to overcome hurts and struggles in our lives. So thanks so much for joining us today. Josh, thanks so much for being with us. The thing I like about being with you, we always discuss critical, relevant issues. Mm. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Resolution Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much to us if you rate it, share it, and subscribe. To be part of the global resolution movement, connect with us on social media and YouTube at Resolution Movement. That's at Resolution Movement. And check out resolutionmovement.org for more information and resources. See you soon.